As I mentioned, we're in week number two of our series, Building Relationships, and today we're going to be looking at the nuts and bolts on, on practical principles that God gives us in His Word on how to build a friendship. Now, I grew up going to church. Um, my experience, however, I really never had close friendships, and I was in church um, from a baby all the way through uh, uh, my college years. I really never had close relationships in church. I mean, for us, unfortunately, Sunday morning was something we did. Um, it was a couple hours out of our week, and we went there, and then my friends and my relationships were the 100, other 166 hours a week uh, back in East Detroit. Uh, we lived a fair ways from our church. Um, for me, the, the idea of friendship uh, was the word fellowship, and fellowship had a sort of negative connotation for me as a kid. Uh, it meant going to the church basement and sitting on uncomfortable chairs and kind of having some stale coffee and sitting around with a bunch of people I didn't know real well, and we called that the fellowship hour. But for me, all that changed in 1981. It was a summer, late summer evening, and I got invited to a Bible study at Mary Peterson's house. We were out on the porch uh, just outside in her backyard. And uh, I still remember where I was sitting. And the reason this day was so impactful for me is I met a couple of guys uh, by the name of Bill and Joe. And uh, I, this was one of my first Bible studies. I had kind of gotten wayward but back in my college years, and now it's kind of coming back to Christ. So I had with me my Bible, my King James Bible, and you know, I was trying to look and act and sound all Christian, whatever that is. I was doing my best of what I thought it should be. And, uh, and then I noticed these guys, and they weren't posers like I was. They knew the word. They just loved God. It was evident. It wasn't a put-on. It was something that was just kind of flowing out of them. And man, did they have a respect and a love for one another. It was just so evident. And they had humility. They're sitting in this group talking about stuff that, that I would just like never in a million years think that I could even say to anybody, let alone a group of people. I was like, are you kidding me? Wow, what is it about these guys? It's radically different. I've never experienced anything like that before. And immediately when I saw it, I was drawn to it. I, I made a beeline right after the Bible study and said, hi, I'm Jeff. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm Bill. And I ended up becoming great friends with these guys. And we got united together in the work of God. But it certainly uh, had such a great and deep impact on me. So how do we have these kinds of friendships? How do we have friendships marked by love and genuine respect and deep mutual support of one another? Well, I want to tell you up front, there's an old adage, and it's something that we need, really need to grasp onto because today's about taking steps. And so the old adage is to make a friend, be a friend. And that's really true for us today as well. Friendship starts with you. Friendship is something we do. It's not something else. It's something we can move towards. It's within our grasp. And as I've studied the scriptures, especially Proverbs, I've seen time and time again that God who wired us up for friendship, it makes sense. He knows what goes into it. And so if we'll study the scripture, we can learn wonderful principles that can lead to these deep and meaningful and transformative relationships. 
So today we're just gonna have an opportunity to look at four, but they're four really big ones, four really good ones. Um, and I've decided that they all begin with C today. Uh, you'll have to forgive me, I am a baby boomer, and us baby boomers, we like to use alliteration a lot of times. We'll either spell stuff with the first word, or they all begin with the same letter. So we're gonna be looking at the four C's of building relationships. Here they are. A common purpose, care, candor, and confession. Let's begin by looking at the foundational one, relationships formed around a common purpose. Now, Zach talked about this last week, and I've found, this is my experience, this is the differentiator. This is kind of the, the one that makes all the difference in how we can really go deep with one another. If you'd like to follow along, these verses are in your bulletin. But let's listen to what Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter two, starting in verse one. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Go ahead and circle that. He's saying be united in your thinking, be united in your love and in your spirit, and be united together in your common purpose of serving and following Christ. This is kind of the cement that holds all the bricks together. Now, when I think back on that relationship with Bill and Joe, I was seeing two men who decided pretty early in their life that, that what they were going to live for is not how they can get ahead, not how many experiences they can rack up, not how many vacations they can go on, although all of those are fine things. What they discovered instead was the power of purpose. And it results in deep and meaningful relationship. You see, I believe the reason why is because the relationship then is not focused on one another, as we're gonna see. The relationship is focused on Christ and focused on his purpose for our life, that we team up together, united together in pursuing that purpose. A lesson that I've learned is that if we pursue relationship for the sake of relationship, we will likely miss the thing we're shooting for will likely not obtain it. I know we all wanna love and be loved, we wanna be known, we wanna know, we all wanna have a place to belong. So what we usually do is we look around us and we'll gravitate to people of common interest or people that we think are cool or influential or people that might be fun to hang out with and we kinda just process all that in, in trying to say, man, it'd be great to be a friend with that person. More and more, we're choosing relationship because we perceive that we'll get something from it. It'll be useful to us. Studies are showing that now more than ever, the model for our relationships is the marketplace. It's the consumer-vendor uh, relationship, and we're carrying that over into our friendships. But it's not just about food and consumer products. It's, it's becoming a primary way that we connect to each other. Kind of makes sense, culture influences us and this is the culture we live in. So some relationships are useful for having a good time, some are for meeting people and networking, some for getting stuff done, and that's not bad, but let's just call it what it is, or actually let's call it what it's not. It's not friendship, there's something so much more. When our friendships, however, are formed around a common purpose, you're gonna discover a breadth and a depth to friendship that you could only dream about. 
It's not to say that this is automatic. It's not to say that it's just going to happen. It's going to take work. But I guarantee you, if you pursue this, you're going to find a breadth and a depth. Let's look at the breadth of this. Um, I've just been so blessed when I decided, decided to follow Christ. The people I've met, the differences um, culturally, the differences in terms of the interests, people I would have never in my own wiring pursued necessarily for relationship. My life has been rich because of it. If you do this, you're going to find you meet a whole array of people that you would not necessarily go and meet on your own. For me, I like sports. I'm a city boy. I was Detroit born and raised. And in Detroit, we had four sports that we liked. We liked football, baseball, hockey, and basketball. All right? We called them the big four. They got a professional team in all four of those sports. Well, God has led me to be part of a team here with my co-pastors that, well, let me just say, they might not know that football season has begun. And we're four weeks in, okay? These guys, well, okay, football. And for me, this is like, this is my favorite time of year. It's like Christmas. It's just fantastic, all right? But these guys, nah. All right, so what they're into, what brings them joy to their soul is fishing. And it's something we do um, religiously when we go on our pastor retreats. We'll work hard all day. And then these guys just come to life about six o'clock. You know, they're putting on their gear and they're getting their fishing poles and they've got their tackle boxes. And I mean, we jump in the boat that Andy and John built with their bare hands. They built it from scratch. I mean, that's how into fishing these guys are. And uh, so in a way we go. Um, fishing for me is not something we did in Detroit. The St. Clair River that was close, all right? I'd drive my bike over there and, and I could tell by the smell and I could tell by the look, there's nothing breathing in there. All right, so it's not worth any time fishing. So I never got into it, but boy, do, do we do it on our pastor's retreat. So outside of God putting us together here at Summit, I might not have had the blessing of knowing these men, but I love these guys. I love their spirit, I love their heart, I love the way they think about God, I love what God has been teaching them. And I get to experience a breadth of relationship that I otherwise might not have pursued in my own. It makes sense. Another benefits of relationships formed around a common purpose is we go, we go deeper. We go to places of vulnerability and safety and love that we all long for. You see, surfacy relationships, they quickly erode into comparisons and competition. Now, I love Facebook, but Facebook becomes a, 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 an area of great temptation for some, of jealousy and envy. Oh, look at the vacations they get to go on. Look at how many fun things they're doing with their kids, right? And, and that's where relationships can go. But relationships formed around a common purpose, they're different. I was just with uh, one of my dear friends this last week. We met in college and we uh, joined together in a common mission there in our college days of serving Christ together. Uh, we went on to uh, help uh, lead a church together and then actually were involved in helping to lead a movement of churches together. And we've not been in the same city since 1993, I think, or four. Uh, no, actually even earlier than that, been a long time. Um, but we've maintained our friendship. We get together regularly. We have strong accountability that we give to one another. And uh, we've just really grown together. And I was with him last week, and I said, Mike, where did this come from? How do we get this relationship? And he said, I don't know, but it's a blessing. He says, but man, have we been through the wars together. We've been united together in serving Christ. We've been through the ups and downs of life together. And there's just something about it. I told him, this doesn't feel like friendship. It just feels like family. 
And I'm so thankful for this relationship that we have. You see, that's the power of a relationship formed around a common purpose. It's why football players are still friends and calling one another 20 years after they're long past the gridiron and they're talking about the glory days. It's why buddies who come together in war are deep soulmates for life. It's why my wife and one of her friends who couldn't be more different and an unlikely friend than Jill, um, they've maintained their close relationship uh, because we all teamed up together to start a church back in 1991. Relationships around a common purpose. Let me ask you, who are you teamed up with? Who are you pursuing Christ's purpose for your life with? Who are you united with and engaging together and linking arms together, focused on what God is doing in and through your life and in and through your community? It really is the foundation for going deeper. The second C I wanna look at this morning is care. Proverbs 17, seven says, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. One thing we know as you live long enough, at one time or another, you're gonna face difficulty in this life. Relationships, the pain of rejection, the pain of infidelity for some, the pain of loss, these are real things that really hurt in relationships. In your work and career, you're gonna have ethical challenges, competition, backbiting amongst fellow employees, difficult bosses, downsizing, layoffs, all is just a meat grinder. And you know what I'm talking about. Health, we get sick, we experience loss. This life, we're gonna face difficulty. So who do you have in your life that cares for you, that cares for you deeply, who looks out for your interests, do you have friends that'll love you at all times, even when it's difficult, even when you're difficult and maybe you know, a little prickly and hard to get close to and move towards and love? Well, they keep coming anyway. Years ago, I got some tough personal news uh, just prior to having to make a long trip home. We were in the process of moving to a new city. And so I got the bad news and then I jumped in my car and I had a long six hour drive. And so I came pulling in about 1 a.m and uh, pretty weary and heavy-hearted. And I noticed that the light was on in my living room. So when I opened up the door, I was curious. Sure enough, there my friend Greg was sitting um, and waiting for me, because he knew in advance the news that I was gonna get. And he was there just to be my friend. He sacrificed his sleep, he sacrificed his comfort just to be with me, just to sit with me in my pain, just to be my friend. I hope you have friends like that. This kind of friendship doesn't give trite answers to complex problems. It doesn't try to fix the other person. When the other person's starting to share their emotions, it doesn't move quickly to problem solving. Ladies, it's okay to nudge your husband right now. It doesn't say, you know, a trite little, well, I'm sorry you lost your job, but hey, let's look at the bright side. At least you get to sleep in tomorrow. It doesn't do that. True friendship, it's marked by care. It's caring enough and being connected enough to your friend to know when they're hurting. And in their hurting, you start to feel that. That's called empathy. And so you move towards them in love. You move towards them in compassion. I hope you have friends like this in your life. And so I wanna do a little exercise with you this morning. 
Um, if you have a pen, it'll be helpful. If not, you're gonna have to use your imagination. But this is something that Pastor Oscar Maru, pastor of Nairobi Chapel in Kenya, came and when he spoke to our staff team, which we try to get him to do frequently, um, he did this little exercise with all of us. And he wanted to know, us to know who are the friends in our life that deeply care so he told us a story in the Gospels. It's found in Luke chapter 5, verse 19. It's the story when Jesus was in a house teaching. It says that the scribes and the Pharisees were there, the religious leaders of the town. And so both the teaching of Jesus and this event where kind of the brass of the city was getting together, it attracted a huge crowd. So it filled the house and then it went, spilled outside of the house and there was a throng of people just kind of looking in to try to hear and see what Jesus was doing. And so were these, these friends, and they had a buddy who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. And so they saw the crowd, and they didn't let that deter them. They got very, uh, they used their ingenuity, and uh, they decided to climb up onto the roof of the house. They got their friend up there. They poked through the mud ceiling, and they lowered their friend down in front of Jesus that he might touch him and that he might heal him. Um, it's a pretty, pretty amazing story of friendship and the power of Christ. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out a piece of paper. Uh, if you got a bulletin this morning, I want you to pull out a pen, and uh, we're gonna go to art school here for a second, all right? And so I want you to draw on a little portion of that paper, a stretcher, all right? And it just can be two poles, all right? And I want the stretcher to have poles at the end, so there should be four poles and a little place where you would lay somebody down. All right, and so if you've got a pen, you can do that. If not, you're gonna to have to use your imagination this morning. Now, I want you to draw yourself laying on the stretcher, all right? Again, you can use stick men, that's quite all right. Just draw a person on there that represents you. All right, got that? Now what I want you to do at each one of the polls is write down the names of four people that you know that would carry you to Jesus in your time of need. They know you well enough, and they care about you enough to get to the point where they're gonna take you to Jesus. Ready, go. My prayer for all of us is that we have four friends like that. Now, if you couldn't come up with any names, that's really not too uncommon. But I hope you're not okay with that. Don't buy into the lie of rugged self-sufficiency that I can do it all on my own. No, no, no. You were not created to do life alone. It's not how God wired you up. So what do you do? Do you go out into the lobby after church and say, hey, would you carry my stretcher for me? <laughs> uh, may not be uh, the best idea. Um, if you couldn't name four people, remember relationships, they do take time, they take investment, but they begin with you. So in the midst of pursuing a common purpose, remember to make a friend, be a friend. I, I saw this, I, I talked about my wife and her friend, Anne. her name is Andrea. And we were moving from West Lafayette, Indiana and Jill was pregnant and that's where our insurance was. But we were moving to Champaign, Illinois to help a church get going there. And so we had the baby and Jill had a C-section. Oh my goodness, all right. So we literally went from the hospital that night when they released Jill and Stephanie and we drove to our new home in Champaign. Can you imagine starting a brand new church in a brand new city in a brand new home? 
Um, not really knowing many of the people, had this little small team of about 15 people that are helping us to get this thing going. And, and, and we show up in this circumstance. And this girl, Andrea, oh my goodness. She just decided I'm gonna be their friend. She organized meals for us. She didn't really know us. She was over our home. She would let Jill sleep. She'd help us with the shopping. She'd help with the cleaning. It was just, she was just such a godsend. I remember coming home once, and this just continued on. I remember coming home once and there was an ice storm and uh, she's just kind of a real go-getter. And there was Andrea, as I was pulling in with my car, kind of sliding on the ice, halfway up this big tall pine tree kind of strapped into the tree with a saw leaning out, hacking down branches that were full of ice that might fall onto the garage. I thought, my goodness. But I just saw in her this principle. And guess what? She's still one of our dearest friends to this day. You want to make a friend, be a friend. Let's look at the, the third C. The third C is candor, candor. Proverbs 27.5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. First of all, I hope you see the parallelism in the beauty of the writing of Hebrews. Uh, these two verses are meant to go together. In the first part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6, they go together. Better is open rebuke because wounds from a friend can be trusted. However, hidden love, it's like an enemy that multiplies kisses. The writer of Proverbs, he knows that we would rather, more, most of us, statistics show, most of us would rather avoid having to say the hard things in our friendships. I mean, we'll all, if you go deep enough with people, you're going to have to say some hard things from time to time. You're going to have to point out things that they don't see about themselves. But we reason with ourselves, ah, I'm just, what if they hurt their feelings and I don't want to be that person? And, and we talk ourselves out of it. But we've got to cultivate a willingness to say the hard things. And by the way, we need to cultivate a willingness of being able to receive the hard things graciously. I want you to know it's part of the deal. True friendship, friendship that goes deep enough and close enough, you're going to run into these areas. Now, here's a, a silly example. It's silly because it, it's not about a character flaw, but it's one of those embarrassing moments that I needed somebody to point something out. I was teaching at a church that I was pastoring back in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it was Christmas time, so I decided to put on my sporty red sweater for Christmas. And, uh, and also, people in Columbus love anything red. They have a fancy name for it. They call it scarlet. Uh, they're scarlet and gray. And, uh, and so there I am, and I'm teaching the church in my uh, red Christmas sweater. And, and I can tell the audience is not engaging. In fact, they're kind of looking away. And it's like, so the more I tried, I got a little more animated. The more I started going for it, it seemed the further and more distant people got. And I thought, I don't know what's going on. Lord, help me here, but I'm struggling. Uh, help him, Jesus. It's like, my goodness. And so all of a sudden, from the back of the room, my wife gets up and she starts walking down the aisle. I'm trying to talk, and I've got my message going, and she keeps coming. And so I said, babe, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of a message here. Undeterred, she kept coming. All right. She came up on stage. And she had me lift my arm. Underneath my arm, a pen had linked on to my fancy red sweater. And as I was teaching, the thing was dangling the whole time I was going all day long. Nobody could catch a word. So I prayed and the sermon was over. Um, we might think we're doing our friends a favor by not putting them through having to hear the hard things from us candidly. 
but we're not. Some of them have a pen dangling from their shirt. Everybody sees it. They don't see it. They need to know it. You need to tell them. So get the courage to have that kind of friendship and be that kind of friend for your friend. Now, there's about 20, 30% of you, you're the opposite extreme. You're sitting here listening to me and you're saying to yourself, wimps, what's the big deal? Get in there and tell them what they need to hear. All right, they'll, be, they'll get over it. It's the right thing to do. All right, and let me first commend you for being that kind of person who loves somebody well enough to tell them the hard things. But let me tell you another proverb. It says, gracious words, Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. All right, it's really important for those of you that are truth speakers, good at candor, that, that, your, that your candor is marinated in care as you deliver it because the goal is to be effective and to help the person you're sharing with. Are you that kind of friend to where you'll be able to say the hard things and receive them? Let's look at the final C, let's look at confession. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Friends confess and friends are accountable. Now, accountability is one of those buzzwords in Christian circles um, that for some of us may justifiably kind of bring some negative uh, reactions to them. Um, for me, the thing I react to is the idea of I'm gonna hold you accountable. I just don't like that phrase, although we, I'll use it from time to time, we all use it. It just to me sounds like a Western, uh, an old Western and it's a stick up. I'm gonna hold you accountable, okay. Um, what I much prefer is that uh, let's get in a relationship where we can give each other accountability. Do you hear the difference? Let's be in a relationship where we can give to each other accountability. He says it's something that's mutually provided. All right, I wanna always remember I got problems too. And I don't want to become the moral police hiding in the bushes, ready to catch the next waywardness in, in my friend's lives. I need to remember, this is a principle from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, that I'm a fellow struggler. I might not be dealing with that particular sin, but I got a bushel full of my own that I'm going to need help and grace and compassion with, right? And so let's provide accountability uh, to one another as a gift to each other. So the proverb says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Have you ever thought about why it is that we want to conceal this stuff? Why it is that we want to take it inward? Well, you're not alone. This behavior goes all the way back to the garden. Do you remember what the scripture says when it says that Adam and Eve sinned? What did they do? They hid. All right. This is a pattern that when we sin, we feel guilt. And guilt becomes toxic when it becomes shame. And shame says that if I get found out, I can no longer be loved. I'm unacceptable. And that's when we are in deep trouble. When you allow the shame to take over and cause you to hide. What'll happen is a vicious cycle will start where there'll be a sin, you'll feel guilt and shame, you'll wanna hide and you'll tell yourself this, that's the last time never gonna happen again. But guess what? You're powerless against that. 
and you will eventually succumb to your flesh one way or another, and then the cycle begins, and it's a vicious, vicious cycle. When we go inward and we don't tell people unconfessed sin, it's kind of like plaque or cholesterol or unanswered email that just tends to stack up. Sin then takes root and becomes the cycle. God's antidote is confession. He who confesses and forsakes his transgressions will find compassion. So why? Why does God want us to confess? How does that help us? God knows that breaking the power of shame, the key to this is honesty. Honesty with ourselves, finally telling ourselves the truth and breaking through denial, which is much harder than you might realize. Honesty with God and then honesty with another human being. I have so many friends that have successfully gone through the 12 steps and overcome addiction and sin patterns in their life. And to a person, they will tell you this that it's step four and step five that was the key for them and their growth with Christ and their ability to overcome. Step four says to take a fearless moral inventory. Write it down. Get honest with yourself and God. Step five is tell it to another human being, and they will tell you that that is the key. He who confesses his transgressions will find compassion. So we get free when we get honest. And if this is true, then why aren't we more honest? Well, it's because we don't feel safe. We fear being rejected, what other people might do with that information. So the key then, if we don't feel safe, is we've got to create relationships where the safety quotient goes up, where we can be open and honest with one another about our struggles. And the only way we can do that is if we're convinced that when we share what we need to share, it's going to be met with love and grace, that we won't be rejected. Does that make sense? I so long for that for us. The church is the place where this can happen because we understand our brokenness. We understand. Let's not go there thinking we've got it all together because it keeps us from another benefit of confession. We experience love when we confess, maybe for the first time ever. All right, because if you're keeping your sin hidden, you're pretending, you're acting, you're projecting an image about yourself that, that's really not true. Counselors call this wearing a mask. And so here's the problem with wearing a mask. When you're out and you're interacting with people and they give you love, guess which gets love? The mask. But you don't feel that because you know what's going on. You're keeping it from them. And it's when you take the mask off that you begin to experience love because you know what they know what's going on and yet you're still lovable. You'll never experience that until the mask comes off. And this is why it's so powerful in our lives and the promise is that we will find compassion from God. And if we're the church he wants us to be, this should be a safe place to have real problems. That's what I want our community to be. It's what God wants our Summit Connect groups to be. And you're gonna have to work at this. Let me give you a suggestion. Go on a retreat together as a Summit Connect group, share each other's story, and then begin to take risks. Open up. Talk about what's really going on. Pray for one another. And don't you dare get on your high horse and start, oh my goodness, look at that sin. You got a bushel full of your own. Makes sense. Don't you want that? I know I do. So there you have it, the four C's of building relationships. 
I want this for our community. I want this for you. I want this for me. Because I just, it's, the, it's a better way to live. And I also know we will not begin to measure the impact that this community can and will have when we have these kinds of relationships. I go back to my friend Bill and Joe that literally that one afternoon changed the trajectory of my life because I saw community and relationship and friendship that I could only dream about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to come together. Man, you are wise. These are some pretty amazing principles, Lord. Help us to first understand them and then have the courage, Lord, to apply them to our relationships. Lord Jesus, please make this a part of our community that we might grow in respect to our salvation and that we might grow, Lord, in our sense of being able to be used of by you to accomplish the purposes that you have for us all. We pray this in the powerful and the risen name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.